Well, after the Apostle John's glorious and frightening vision of the exalted Christ in heaven, he begins straight away uh, to copy down uh, messages of our Lord to the seven timeless, typical churches located in Asia Minor that he wants us to know about. Uh, the church in Ephesus speaks to us about love in the church. The church in Smyrna, as we'll see in a few weeks, instructs us about suffering. The church in Pergamum about standing firm in doctrine and life. And the fourth church, which we come to this evening, about choices. Some of the choices made by the church in Thyatira were good, and some were very bad. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Listen and follow along as I read then from Revelation chapter 2, now from verse 18. Revelation 2, beginning at verse 18 through 29. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your ways, your love, and faith, and service, and patient endurance. That you and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works unto the end, to him, I will give authority over the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The bad choices made by some in the church in Thyatira revolved around toleration and accommodation with Jezebel and her followers within the church. Now, whoever this woman was, 
Her name may well not have actually been Jezebel, but the very fact that Jesus calls her by that notorious name is, of course, very telling and, 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 very, and very significant. Um, verse 20 again, But I have this against you, you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrifice uh, to uh, to idols. Uh, so many of you will remember um, Jezebel of the Old Testament fame. She, she was a, a doozy. Uh, nobody would call their daughter Jezebel unless she was really bad and then behind her back. Um, Jezebel was the daughter of Ethbaal, a pagan priest who became king of the Sidonians by murdering his predecessor uh, somewhere around mid-900 B.C. And his daughter Jezebel uh, was a priestess of Astart or Ashtra, the Phoenician counterpart uh, or equivalent of the Greek goddess Aphrodite and the Roman uh, goddess Venus, all of whom encouraged licentiousness uh, beneath a cloak of morality. So Jezebel marries Ahab, the eighth king of the northern kingdom of Israel. And that was a mistake. Ahab was weak and waffling. Jezebel was strong and clear-minded and wicked to the core. She persuades Ahab to build a temple and an altar to Ashtoreth right in the middle of the capital city of northern kingdom Israel, Samaria. She had a stable, you may remember this, of 400 prophets of Baal who ate at her table. In other words, she supported them. And she uh, attempted to murder the prophets of the Lord and sought the death of one of God's greatest prophets, Elisha. Uh, Jezebel was a whore, literally and spiritually. She was a sorceress and she used her influence to lead Israel in very bad uh, places. Um, I wonder if anyone remembers how this woman met her end. Does anyone remember this? This is, this is, yeah, okay, good. This is not trivia. This is important, but it is a little grim. Uh, she was, she was, this is the Old Testament, Jezebel. She was actually thrown out of a, uh, a second floor or upper story window of the palace by her own eunuchs on command of Jehu, whom the Lord had sent to cleanse the land. And she was trampled to death down below in the courtyard by horses, and her body was left to be torn apart and eaten by dogs so that there would be no trace of her but dog excrement so that no one could visit her grave and say, ah, look, there's the, there is the grave of Jezebel. In the gallery of Old Testament characters, Jezebel was just about the worst. In fact, I think she was the worst. Well, anyway, her counterpart in Thyatira called uh, herself a prophetess and is accused of teaching and seducing the servants of the Lord uh, um, in the church to practice sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed by idols. And the church, a good church, in many regards, as we'll shortly see, tolerated it. Now, how is that possible? How could, how could such compromise uh, be allowed, even allowed within the church? Rank idolatry and immorality... And of course, nobody knows for sure, but we have a pretty good idea. It turns out 
that Thyatira was known um, by, um, from contemporary, contemporaneous uh, reading, um, historical writings, and from archaeological evidence, uh, that uh, it was a place known throughout Asia for its trade guilds, um, powerful associations of bakers and clothiers and cobblers and weavers and tanners and dyers and potters and bronze workers. Maybe you remember Lydia, uh, of whom we read in chapter 16 of the book of Acts, who was a seller of purple goods, an influential woman and a possibly very wealthy woman who hailed from Thyatira. Now, here's the significance of this fact. Given the state of paganism of that time and place, it's almost certain that each of these guilds would have had a patris god or goddess. That's just the way they worked. And so in Thyatira, if you wanted to get ahead in the world, if you wanted security, if you wanted a good job, you would have had to belong to one of these trade guilds. And if you belonged to a trade guild, you would have been expected to uh, to gather, uh, to attend the guild um, uh, the guild meetings, the guild festivals, where you would eat food, part of which had been offered to their particular guild deity, the patron god or goddess. And you would have received sacrificial food on your plate as a gift from the gods. And then, when the whole feast was completed, the real grossly immoral fun began. Well, that's just the way business worked. And to a degree, it still works that way in the halls of power, doesn't it? And in business. Uh, and if you walked out of one of these uh, guild uh, feasts, if you quit your union, uh, you lost your job, you lost your position, you lost your standing in society and probably your livelihood. So that was the dilemma, you see, that the church folk in Thyatira were likely to have faced. But Jezebel, Jezebel had a solution. Jezebel had inside information. She was a prophetess. She had special revelation. She knew all about the deep things of Satan, verse 24. And so she developed a little theology to spin it, you know, a, a little workaround that would put everybody at ease. Uh, nothing that would have stood the scrutiny of the Old Testament scriptures or gotten approval from the apostles, but what did they know? You see, she found a way uh, uh, for um, the members of the church of Thyatira to have their cake and eat it. How convenient. Uh, they could call themselves Christians and members in good standing. They could attend church while still remaining me members of the guild and participants uh, and participate whenever and however they liked. Um, I, I have a memory today of um, when I was living out west and pastoring out west of meeting with some members of a cult um, uh, that was seeking to establish converts in the town where I was pastoring. And, and um, this is what they did. The girls in this cult would dress up dressed to kill, as you might say, and they would go out and evangelize. They called it flirty fishing. Um, it seems they had taken a page from Jezebel in Thyatira. Well, where do we go from this? Um, I think there's application for us in this. Uh, don't you know that sin can always come up with excuses to do what it wants? To, to, to find some convenient, comfortable way to make it work. 
Um, brethren, if you know your heart uh, at all, you know that we are all just natural-born experts at accommodating the idols of our heart, uh, of finding an excuse, of finding a compromise, of finding some theology, some religious position. You know, go on your computer, search it, you'll find somebody who agrees with you and somebody who's figured it all out in some sort of religious manner, uh, who will somehow, um, some new interpretation of, an, of some inconvenient scripture that will justify, even baptize our desires and allow us to indulge ourselves. We can always find a way of justifying our behavior. That's part of the deceitfulness of sin. It could be as simple as, as disguising gossip, as simply sharing a prayer matter with somebody. It, it could be as self-deceived as explaining away an adulterous or improper, improper relationship uh, by convincing yourself that you're simply comforting or or, or counseling, or you're spiritually encouraging another person, not your husband or wife. Finding Jezebel in our hearts is really not too hard. Too easily we're seduced by our sin and, and, and by the devil into places of spiritual and moral compromise, especially when we feel our back is against the wall or one of our treasured uh, idols of comfort uh, and pleasure is at risk. And how easy it is to, to cave in and devise some sort of end run uh, around what we know perfectly well in our hearts is not right. How easily to deceive ourselves and find some bogus explanation or scripture that Jesus would never approve of. And there's always a Jezebel out there to sympathize and support you in your sin, to agree with you and approve of your ideas and your conduct and even egg you on a little bit. But uh, look what happens in verse 21. God writes, I gave her time to repent, but she refused to repent. So the Lord had visited this woman and confronted her, perhaps there had been some conversations, perhaps some church leader, elder had spoken to her and or the Lord had raised up some, someone else in the congregation to, uh, to confront her. Um, the Lord is so patient with us. Um, he doesn't wish any should perish in the way. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked or the downfall of, of good believers. Think, think of Jesus crying out in Jerusalem, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I long to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks beneath her wings, but you were not willing. Or think of the parable of the vineyard where the, the king uh, sends out his servants, servant after servant, to his vineyard to receive what was due him, his, his, his payment. But the servants were told, seize them. They beat one, they killed another, they stoned a third. The king sent out other servants, plural, other servants to him. And the tenants treated them the same way. Finally, he sent his own son. They will respect my son, he says. But they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him as well. I'm sure you understand. God has sent us his word and his son and the spirit to his people and his church. And if he's urging repentance upon you, 
We mustn't trifle with God. Do not harden your heart to ignore him or say no when you know perfectly well you're simply protecting him, making excuses uh, for some idol. Uh, Look at the rest of the text from verse uh, 21. He says there, um, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of their works. And I will strike her children dead and the churches will all know that I am he who searches mind and heart. Um, the, the pleasures of sin gives way to the misery of sickness and even death. Um, this was an age in which, of course, Ananias and Sapphira fell dead at the feet of the apostle for their lying hypocrisy and in which some Corinthian Christians had fallen ill and others died because they defiled the Lord's Supper by their greed and irreverence. Let us be warned. We may not ourselves suffer an immediate physical judgment and we certainly shouldn't take a death or a sickness to be some sort of absolute sign that we've sinned. But we certainly can search our hearts and uh, know that Christ's eyes are still a flame of fire and his feet are still strong as burnished brass and the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. John Stott. What a mercy it is. What a mercy it is that the Lord catches up with us with his sharp word. He begins a work of rescue in our lives when he sees us straying. He doesn't, you know, remember Jonah goes off Jonah just, he doesn't want to follow the Lord. He gets a directive from the Lord. He just goes the other exact opposite way. The Lord could have said, let him go. I got other guys. But he doesn't. He goes after. He drags him back. You know, swallowed up by a whale. Spit out. Jonah goes back to do it the second time, right? So the Lord is gracious. He, he brings us back. He, he brings, works a rescue in our lives. He refuses to let us drift away into lives of moral compromise and disobedience and spiritual lethargy. Our Lord disciplines those he loves and treats us as sons and daughters. Never pleasant to be rebuked or disciplined. Never pleasant to be disabused of our idols and excuses. Never pleasant to recognize we're compromising um, our commitment to the Lord. But from those, those who learn from it, it does produce a harvest of righteousness and peace. So, uh, some in the church of Thyatira chose to tolerate and accommodate and make themselves easy to suit themselves, which the Lord warns and condemns and even judges some to death. But there are others within the church who make a better choice. Verse uh, 19 and 26 and 28, we learn about these who are loving and faithful and patient in their service to the Lord and who received his commendation. And we read about their growing faith and love and service and endurance. Um, uh, Let's pick up at verse 19 again. Um, We read there, um, I know your works, your love and your faith, your service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. And then again in verse uh, 24, uh, But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching and who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have 
until I come. Um, uh, the one who conquers uh, will be blessed, as we discover. So, um, here he's describing the good works of the church, which are not lost upon the Lord. He sees them, he knows, uh, and he's delighted. He says, I know your works of love and faith and service, and you're even, they're even better now than they were at the beginning. You see, they hadn't lost, they were a loving church. They hadn't lost their love like the, like the Ephesians, their first love. Uh, they're walking by faith and not by sight. They're not introverted. They're not serving themselves, but one another and doubtless those around them. And they are patiently uh, enduring the difficulties that have befallen them for the sake of their testimony and their life. And they do not take hold of the false teaching that were perhaps swirling around them as a congregation. And they bore the difficulties of trying to maintain a living while living in this town. Um, uh, they did not buy into the compromise uh, provided for them by the deep things of Satan. They're trusting in the Lord to carry them through in the midst of the pressures of their workplaces and their neighbors. In fact, uh, they were, end of verse 19, even increasing in their faith and love and maturity. They were, by the grace of God, going from strength to strength, as the psalmist says. So our Lord, the persecuted and suffering Savior, sees all things with, a, with penetrating eyes of fire. And he knows about our conflicts and our struggles and our sorrows and, 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 and those that are our own doing and those that are brought upon us by the, the doings of others, even those we love. He's most gracious and helpful. Uh, notice what he says in verse 24b. I do not lay on you any other burden. Our Lord has no intention of making his service a burden to his sons and daughters. He doesn't come to you each day and say, well now, you know, I've got a few more things I want you to work on. You know, and Really, you know, I give you so much and you do so little for me. But it's not like that at all. I've got some more work. Here's, some, here's a new list. No, the Lord is gracious and merciful and, and he calls us simply to follow him and, and do what comes to our hand. Now, it's, never, it's never hard to follow the Lord, serving the idols of our heart, which are never satisfied, serving sin, which wears us down day after day. Now that, that's a burden, but never to love and serve the Lord. Jesus said, remember, come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. And my burden is light. He will help you discover the Jezebel in your heart. But he's very patient and sympathetic and he will draw us close to himself in his sin. His Holy Spirit is powerful. A strength and wisdom in our weakness and a very present help in our sorrows. And, and look, look at what our Lord promises. There's always, there's always gracious promises uh, <clears throat> and encouragements given throughout these letters. Some of them seem hard, don't they? You know, he's always wrapping people on the knuckles, it seems. But, but, um, but he, he does it for their good and he always gives these gracious promises. Uh, Ephesians are promised uh, to eat from the tree of life, uh, the paradise of God, for, the, for Pergamum, it's that hidden manna, the gift of the white stone. And now look at verses 26 and 27. He says, To the one who holds fast, 
what uh, you uh, hold, uh, holds fast oh, only excuse me um, only hold fast to to what um, you have until I come the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end to him I will give authority over the nations he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces even as I myself have received authority from my father um, and, and then he goes on to speak of the morning star. I will give uh, him the morning star. Um, so what we, what we see here in these verses is our Lord promises a day when the tables will be turned. Um, and the last will be first and the first uh, will be last. Where the oppressed and those considered religious fools and narrow-minded bigots for following Christ those who are of no account in the world, they will become the rulers. Yes, you and I will be not the head, uh, not the tail, but the head. Uh, and, and this isn't the only place where we read this, um, where we have this strange promise. In 2 Timothy 2.12, we read, If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign or rule or become like kings with him. In Revelation 5.10 we read, By your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they shall reign, same word, over the earth. And we see the same thing in Revelation 24. Now how exactly this is going to work out, I have no idea. But this much is clear. The one who conquers the one who holds fast to their faith and keeps beating off sin and loving and worshiping Jesus, the one who faithfully follows Christ to the end, is promised somehow a delightful share in God's sovereign, in Christ's sovereign rule. Uh, uh, that believer will participate in the vindication of Jesus' name before the world, gathered before the white, great white throne, seated with our Lord in judgment on uh, the judgment of the wicked on that day, bearing solemn testimony as star witnesses. Dear brother, is this the man who badgered and taunted you and persecuted you and cursed you in my name? Yes, Lord, he's the one. Dear sister, is this the man who molested you and spoiled your good name? Yes, Lord, it was he. And I suppose we'll be busy ruling over the new heavens and the new earth. What a great pleasure and a blessing that'll be. But here's the second promise. And the very next, the very, the very last verse. He says, I will give him the morning star. Verse 20, 28. A reference, in my opinion, to the last prophecy that God gave to none other than Balaam. <laughs> a, a pagan prophet who we met up with last Lord's Day evening uh, regarding the church of Pergamum. How ironic. One of the most beautiful messianic prophecies in the Old Testament put in the mouth of a wicked false prophet. Uh, that's, <laughs> there's sort of a funny irony in that. Um, uh, he says, uh, this, is, these are, this is Balaam, Balaam's words. He says, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Baor, the oracle of a man whose eye is opened, the testimony of him who hears the word of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down with eyes uncovered. And now he comes to the prophecy. 
I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And who is this star? But the eternal Son of God, the royal Son of, of, of God, not yet born, not then or there, not in those Old Testament days of Balaam, but who now has in these last days come as our Savior and Lord, whose royal birth was signified by a star. Jesus is that star. And he gives us Jesus. God has given us the Lord Jesus as our Savior and our friend. Um, and uh, what and now and, and, and in greater measure in time to come. That's what our, our Lord is, is promising in this text. Jesus treasure, uh, Jesus priceless treasure, font of purest pleasure, truest friend to me. Ah, how long in anguish shall my spirit languish, yearning, Lord, for thee. Thine I am, O spotless lamb, I will suffer naught to hide thee, naught I ask beside thee. Thou art all my pleasure, Jesus, all my choice. Yes. Jesus, by the grace of God, give you a choice. Um, if you have never confessed Christ as your Savior, God has opened a door of mercy, of opportunity. You must choose. <laughs> we understand this as sovereign, as, as reformed folk. We have a choice. Yeah, but God orders it all. There is a choice. There is a moment. There is a door of opportunity. Do you have Jesus? Do you want Jesus? You must want to have Jesus. There is nothing, nothing better. Why in the world would you suppose that there could be anything better than Christ in us, the hope of glory? What, what better than that? Uh, choose not. Tolerate not. Accommodate not. A life of sin to suit yourself. But choose rather a life of loving, patient, faithful service to suit God. Ask Jesus to save you. Ask him to give you um, a heart of repentance. Ask for faith. Ask for life. And let every one of us, every day, rejoice and reach for that morning star again and again. Let's pray. Lord our God, we are um, we rejoice to read your word again this night and to these read these, these amazing words from Scripture, Lord, that speak to us. Uh, we, we do pray that you would make us um, careful in our lives not to, to accommodate ourselves, not to accommodate our baser nature. Give us grace to withstand those who might have great power and pressure to put upon us in going ways that we shouldn't go. Lord, we thank you that you will always provide a way of escape. We thank you that you are greater than all and that you have our lives in your hands, that you are the sovereign Lord. And we bless you and praise you. We thank you for your promises, um, Lord, that we will reign with you, that we, uh, that we can have Jesus. Bless your people this night. In Jesus' name, amen.